0: Welcome to the Myth, Legend, and Lore podcast. Welcome to the concluding part of the Saga of the Volsungs from Padgett Columns, The Children of Odin. In the last episode, we were swept along with the tale of Sigurd's father, Sigmund, the deeds of the Balsung clan and the deaths of the Balsung children by the hands of King Sigir, all except Sigmund and his sister, Signy. We learned of Sigmund's life as an outlaw in the forest, of his training of Signy's son, Sinfiotli, and the vengeance the pair took on Sigir's men as and when they could. We also heard of their transformation into wolves and why they vowed never to do so again. Vengeance was finally taken in the burning of King Siggeir's Hall, but alas, Sigmund's sister and Sinfiotli's mother, Signy, perished in the blaze, choosing to die after all she had endured as Siggeir's wife. Sigmund was reunited with his wondrous sword, Gram, and Sigmund and Sinfiotli returned to the Hall of Branstock. The joy Sigmund knew was short-lived, as the life of Sinfiotli was taken by the angry and murderous Queen Borkhild, who Sigmund had wed. Broken and greatly saddened by the death of his comrade, Sigmund allowed no other to touch Sinfiotli's body. Carrying him through the woods to the shore, Sigmund came upon an old and curiously tall man who stood beside a boat. Telling Sigmund that he would take the burden from him, he beckoned the body of Sinfiotli to be placed inside. But before Sigmund could take a seat beside his dead comrade, the boat began to move across the water without the aid of a sail or oars. It was then that Sigmund realised the old man standing at the stern of the boat was Odin, the Allfather. And now to the tale, where we rejoin Sigurd the Volsung, as he rides through the forest with the sword graham by his side and the golden helmet of the dragon's hoard above his golden hair. Brynhild in the House of Flame The forest ways led him on and up a mountainside. He came to a mountain summit at last, Hindfell where the trees fell away, leaving a place open to sky and the winds. On Hindville was the House of Flame. Sigurd saw the walls black and high, and all around them was a ring of fire. As he rode nearer, he heard the roar of the mounting and circling fire. He sat on Granny, his proud horse, and for long he looked at the black walls and the flame that went circling around them. Then he rode Granny to the fire. Another horse would have been affrighted, but Granny remained steady under Sigurd. To the wall of fire they came, and Sigurd, who knew no fear, rode through it. Now he was in the courtyard of the hall. No stir was there of a man or hound or horse. Sigurd dismounted and bade Granny be still. He opened a door, and he saw a chamber with hangings on which was wrought the pattern of a great tree, a tree with three roots, and the pattern was carried across from one wall to another. On a bed in the centre of the chamber, one lay in slumber. Upon the head was a helmet, and across the breast was a breastplate. Sigurd took the helmet off the head. Then, over the bed fell a heap of wondrous hair, bright and gleaming. This was the maiden that the birds had told him of. He cut the fastenings of the breastplate with his sword, and gazed long upon her. Beautiful was her face, but stern, like the face of one who subdues but may not be subdued. Beautiful and strong were her arms and her hands. Her mouth was proud, and over closed eyes there were strong, beautiful brows. Her eyes opened, and she turned them, looking full upon Sigurd. Who are you who has awoken me? she said. I am Sigurd, the son of Sigmund, of the Volsung race, he answered. And you did ride through the ring of fire to me? That I did, he replied. She knelt on the bed and stretched out her arms to where the light shone. Hail, O day, she cried, and hail beams that are the sons of the day, of the night, the daughter of the night. May you look upon us with eyes that bless. Hail, O Aesir, and O Asenir. Hail, O wide-spreading fields of Midgard. May you give us wisdom and wise speech and healing power and grant that nothing untrue or unbrave may come near us. All this she cried with eyes open wide. They were eyes that had in them all the blue that Sigurd had ever seen. The blue of flowers, the blue of skies, the blue of battle blades. She turned those eyes upon him and said, I am Brynhild, once a Valkyrie but now a mortal maiden. One who will know death and all the sorrows that mortal women know. But there are things that I may not know, things that are false and of no bravery. She was the bravest and the wisest and the most beautiful maiden in all the world. Sigurd knew that it was so. He laid his sword Gram at her feet and he said her name, Brynhild. He told her how he had slain the dragon and how he had heard the birds tell of her. She rose from the couch and bound her wondrous hair on her head. In wonder he watched her. When she moved, it was though she walked above the earth. They sat together, and she told him wonderful and secret things. And she told him too how she was sent by Odin from Asgard to choose the slain from his hall Valhalla, and to give victory to those whom he willed have it. And she told how she had disobeyed the will of the Allfather, and for that she was made an outcast of Asgard. Odin put into her flesh the thorn of the Tree of Sleep, that she might remain in slumber until one who was the bravest of mortal men should waken her. Whoever would break the fastenings of the breastplate would take out the thorn of sleep. Odin granted me this, she said, that, as a mortal maid, I should wed none but him who was the bravest in the world. And so that none but him might come to me, all-father put the fire ring round where I lay in slumber. And it is you, Sigurd, son of Sigmund, who has come to me. You are the bravest, and I think you are the most beautiful too, like Titir, the god who wields the sword." She told him that whoever rode through the fire and claimed her as his wife, him she must wed. They talked to each other fondly, and the day flowed by them. Then Sigurd heard Granny, his horse, neigh for him again and again. He cried to Brynhild, "'Let me go for the gaze of your eyes. I am the one is to have the greatest name in the world. Not yet have I made my name as great as my father's, and my father's father made their names. I have overcome King Ligny,' and I have slain Fafnir the dragon, but that is little. I would make my name the greatest in the world, and endure all that is to be endured in making it so. Then I would come back to you in the house of flame. Brynhild said to him, You speak well. Make your name great, and endure what has to be endured in making it so. I will wait for you, knowing that none but Sigurd will be able to win through the fire that guards where I abide. They gazed long at each other, but little more did they speak. Then they held each other's hands in farewell, and they plighted faith, promising each other that they would take no other man or maiden for their mate. And for a token of their troth, Sigurd took the ring that was on his finger and placed it upon Brynhild's. And Varys' ring it was. Sigurd at the House of the Nibelungs He left Highfall, and he came into a kingdom that was ruled over by a people that were called the Nibelungs, as Sigurd's people were called the Volsungs. Giki was the name of the king of that land. Giki and his queen and all their sons gave a great welcome to Sigurd when he came to their hall, for he looked as one who might win the name of being the world's greatest hero. And Sigurd went to war beside the king's sons Gunnar and Hogni, and the three made great names for themselves, but Sigurd's shone high above the others. When they came back from that war, there were great rejoicings in the hall of the Nibelungs, and Sigurd's heart was filled with friendship for all the Nibelung race. He had a love for the king's sons, Gunnar and Hogni, and with Gunnar and Hogni he swore oaths of brotherhood. Henceforth he and they would be as brethren. King Giyoki had a stepson named Gutorm, and he was not bound in the oath that bound Sigurd and the others in brotherhood. After the war they had waged, Sigurd spent a whole winter in the hall of the Nibelungs. His heart was full of memories of Brynhild of longings to write to her. But as yet, he would not go back to her, for he had sworn to give his brethren further help. One day, as he rode by himself, he heard the birds talk to each other, and he knew the words that they were saying. One said, There is Sigurd who wears the wondrous helmet that he took out of Fafnir's hoard. And another bird said, He knows not that by that helmet he can change his shape as Fafnir changed his shape, and make him look like this creature or that creature, or this man or that man. And the third bird said, He knows not that the helmet can do anything so wonderful for him. He rode back to the hall of the Nibelungs, and at the supper boards he told them what the birds had to say. He showed them the wondrous helmet. Also, he told them how he had slain Fafnir the dragon, and of how he had won the mighty hoard for himself. His two sworn brothers who were there rejoiced that they had such wondrous possessions. But more precious than the hoard and more wondrous than the helmet was the memory of Brynhild that he had. But of this he said no word. Grimhild was the name of the queen. She was a mother of Gunnar and Hogni and of the half-brother Guttorm. And she and the king had one daughter. His name was Gudrun. Now Grimhild was one of the wisest of women, and she knew when she looked upon him that sigurd was the world's greatest warrior she would have him belong to the nibelungs not only by the oaths of brotherhood he had sworn with gunnar and hogni <laughs> and when she heard of the great horde that was his she had a greater wish and will that he should be with one with the nibelings she looked upon the helmet of gold and on the great arm-ring he wore and she made it her heart's purpose that sigurd should wed with gudrun her daughter but neither sigurd nor the maiden Gudrun knew of Grimhild's resolve. And the queen, watching Sigurd closely, knew that he had a remembrance in his breast that held him from seeing Gudrun's loveliness. She had the knowledge of spells and of secret brews. And she knew that she could make a potion that would destroy the memory that Sigurd held. She mixed the potion. Then one night there was a feasting in the hall of the Nibelungs. She gave the cup that held the potion into the hands of Gudrun and bade her carry it to Sigurd. Sigurd took the cup out of the hands of the fair Nibelung maiden and drank the potion. When he had drunk it, he put the cup down and he stood among the feasters like a man in a dream. When he rode out with Gunnar and Hogni, they would say to him, "'What have you lost, brother?' but Sigurd could not tell them. For he had lost all that was the memory of Brynhild the Valkyrie in the House of Flame. He saw Gudrun, and it was as though he had looked upon her for the first time. Soft were the long tresses of her hair, soft were her hands. Her eyes were like wood fires, and her ways and her speech were gentle. Yet was she noble in her bearing, as became a princess who would come into a kingdom. And from the first time she had seen him upon Granny, his proud horse, and with his golden helmet above his golden hair, Gudrun had loved Sigurd. At the season when the wild swans came to the lake, Gudrun went down to watch them build their nests, and while she was there, Sigurd rode through the pines. He saw her, and her beauty made the whole place change. He stopped his horse and listened to her voice as she sang to the wild swans, sang the song that Volund had made for Alvit, his swan bride. No more was Sigurd's heart empty of memory. It was filled with the memory of Gudrun, as he saw her by the lake when the wild swans were building their nests. Now he watched her in the hall, sitting with her mother embroidering, or serving her father or her brothers, and the tenderness for the maiden kept growing in his heart. A day came when he asked Gunnar and Hogni, his sworn brethren, for Gudrun. They were glad, as though a great fortune had befallen them, and they brought him before Gyuki the king, and Grimhild the queen. It seemed as if they had cast off all trouble and care and entered into the prime of their life and power. So greatly did the king and the queen rejoice at Sigurd's becoming one with the Nibelungs through his marriage with Gudrun. When Gudrun heard that Sigurd had asked for her, she said to the queen, O mother, your wisdom should have strengthened me to bear such joy. How can I show him that he is so dear, so dear to me? But I shall try not to show it for he might deem that there was no sense in me but sense to love him. So great a warrior would not care for such love. I would be with him as a battle maiden. Sigurd and Gudrun were wed, and all the kingdom that the Nibelungs ruled over rejoiced. And Queen Grimhild thought that though the effect of the potion she gave him would wear away, his love for Gudrun would ever fill his heart, and that no other memory would be able to find a place there. How Brynhild was one for Gunnar. Now that Sigurd had wed Gudrun, he was one with the Nibelungs. The hoard that was in Fafnir's cave he brought away and he left it in their treasure house. He went into his foster father's kingdom again, and he saw King Alv and Hjordis, his mother. But he had no memory of now of the House of Flame nor of Brynhild, who waited there for him. King Giyaki died, and Gunnar, Sigurd's sworn brother, became a king in his stead. His mother would have him wed, but Gunnar told her he had seen no maiden for whom he would choose to have as his wife. But when Sigurd and he were together, Gunnar would speak of a maiden far away, one whom he had often thought on. And one day, when Sigurd pressed him to tell who this maiden was, he spoke of one who was the wisest of poets, a maiden in a hall with a flame around it, a maiden named Brynhild, who was guarded by a ring of fire. Sigurd left to think his shrewd brother was beguiled by one whom he had only heard of. But if he was beguiled by a tale of her, why should he not come to her and wed her? And this Sigurd said. Then Gunnar bent to him and asked Sigurd would he aid him to win her. And Sigurd took Gunnar's hand and swore that he would. So they started off for Hindfell, Gunnar and Hogni and Sigurd. They rode on until they came in sight of the black walls and the mounting and fire around them. No memory had Sigurd of this place. With the flame of eagerness upon his stolid face, Gunnar went forward to ride through the ring of fire. He brought Goti, his horse, near the flame, but the horse, for no urging, would go through it. Then Gunnar thought that mounted on Granny, Sigurd's horse, he could ride through the ring of fire. He mounted Granny and came near to the fearing wall. But Granny, knowing that the one who rode him had a fear of fire, reared up and would not go through it. Only with Sigurd on his back would Granny go through the flame. Then were the three sworn brethren greatly discomfited? But after they had considered it for a long time, Hogni the Wise said, There is a way to win Brynhild, and that is for Sigurd to change shapes by the magic of his helmet with Gunnar. <laughs> so spoke Hogni the Wise, and when he saw his sworn brother's gaze fixed upon him in pleading, Sigurd could not but agree to ride through the flame and come to Brynhild in the way that he had said. And so, by the magic of his helmet, he changed shapes with Gunnar. Then he mounted Granny and rode through the wall of flame. And Granny, knowing that the one he bore was without fear, rode through the flaring fire. Then Sigurd came into the courtyard of the house of flame. He dismounted from Granny, and he bade his horse be still. He went within the hall, and he saw one with a bow in her hands shooting at a mark. She turned to him. He saw a beautiful and stern face with coils of wondrous bright gleaming hair and eyes that were like the stars in an unventured in sea. He thought that the arrow in her hands had been shot through him but it was not so. Brynhild threw down the bow and came to him with that walk of hers that was as if one was moving above the earth and when she came near and looked upon him she uttered a strange cry. Who are you? she said. Who are you who has come through the wall of flaring fire? Gunnar, son of Guki, of the race of the Nibelungs, <laughs> are you the bravest in all the world? She asked. I have ridden through the wall of flaring fire to come to you, Sigurd answered. He who has come through the wall of flaring fire may claim me, Brynhild said. It is written in the runes, and it must be so. But I thought there was only one who could come to me. She looked at him, and her eyes had a flame of anger. Oh, I would strive with you with warrior weapons, she cried. Then Sigurd felt her strong hands upon him, and he knew that she was striving to throw him. They wrestled, and each one was so strong that none could move the other. They wrestled, Sigurd the first of heroes and Brynhild the Valkyrie. Sigurd got her hand in his in the wrestle. On that hand was a ring, and Sigurd bent back the finger and drew it off. It was Anvari's ring, the ring he had placed on her finger. <laughs> then Sigurd lifted her in his arms and carried her to where Granny, his horse, was waiting. He lifted her across his horse and he mounted behind her and again he rode through the wall of flame. Hogni and Gunnar were waiting, Gunnar and Sigurd's shape. Brynhild did not look upon them but covered her face with her hands. Then Sigurd took back his own shape, and he rode before Gunnar and Hogni to the hall of the Nibelungs. He went within, and he found Gudrun, his wife, playing with Sigmund, his little son. And he sat beside her, and he told her of all that had befallen, how, for the sake of the sworn brotherhood, he had won Brynhild the Valkyrie for Gunnar, and now he had striven with her and overcome her, and he had taken off her finger the ring that he now wore upon his own and even as he spoke to his wife the fume of the potion that gudrun's mother had given him was wearing off and he had memories of going to the house of flame on a day that was not this day on a riding through the wall of fire in his own shape and again as on the night when he drank the potion that queen grimhild While he was standing there, Gunnar and Hogni came into the hall of the bringing Brynhild with them. Gudrun rose up to welcome her, who had become his brother's bride. Then did Sigurd look upon Brynhild and remembered all. And when he remembered all, such a mighty sigh rose from his heart, as burst the lengths of mail that was across his breast. The Death of Sigurd It happened one day... Now Brynhild, Gunnar's wife, now a queen, was with Sigurd's wife bathing in a river. Not often were they together. Brynhild was the haughtiest of women, and she often treated Gudrun with disdain. Now as they were bathing together, Gudrun, shaking out her hair, cast some drops upon Brynhild. Brynhild went from Gudrun, and Sigurd's wife, not knowing that Brynhild had anger against her, went up after her in the stream. Why do you go so far river, Brynhild? Gudrun asked, so that you may not shake your hair over me, answered Brynhild. Gudrun stood still, while Brynhild went up the river like a creature who was made to be alone. Why do you speak to me like this, sister? Gudrun cried. She remembered that from the first, Brynhild had been haughty with her, often speaking to her with harshness and bitterness. She did not know what caused Brynhild to be like this. It was because Brynhild had seen in Sigurd the one who had ridden through the fire for the first time, he who had awakened her by breaking the binding of her breastplate and so drawing out of her flesh the thorn of the tree of sleep. She had given him her love when she had wakened into the world. But he, as she thought, had forgotten her easily, giving his love to this other maiden. Brynhild, with her Valkyrie's pride, was left with a mighty anger in her heart. He slew the dragon Fafnir and won for himself Fafnir's hoard, said Gudrun. Gunnar rode through the ring of fire. Mayhap you will tell us that Sigurd did the like, said Brynhild. And Gudrun held out her hand on which was Aunt Vary's ring. Then Brunhild knew all at once what Gudrun had said was true. Falsely, she had been won, And she, one of Odin's Valkyries, had been wed to one who was not the bravest hero in the world, and she, to whom untruth may not come, had been deceived. She was silent now, and all that pride was in her turned to hatred of Sigurd. She went to Gunnar, her husband, and she told him that she was so deeply ashamed she could never be glad in his hall again, that never would he see her drinking wine, nor embroidering with golden threads, and never would he hear her speaking words of kindness. And when she said this to him, she ran to the web she was weaving, and she wept aloud so that all in the hall heard her and marvelled to hear the proud queen cry. Then Sigurd came to her, and he offered in atonement the whole hoard of Fafnir, And he told her how forgetfulness of her had come upon him, and he begged her to forgive him for winning her in falseness. But she answered to him, Too late you have come to me, Sigurd. Now I have only great anger in my heart. Then she went to Hogni and asked him to slay Sigurd, telling him that the whole of Fafnir's horde would belong to the Nibelungs if Sigurd were slain. But Hogni would not slay him, since Sigurd and he were sworn brothers. There was one who was not sworn to brotherhood with Sigurd. He was Guttorm Gunnar and Hogni's half-brother. Brynhild went to Guttarm. He would not slay Sigurd, but Brynhild found that he was infirm of will and unsteady of thought. With Gutorm then, she would work for the slaying of Sigurd. Her mind was fixed that he and she would no longer be in the world of men. She made a dish of madness for Guttorm, serpent's venom and wolf's flesh mixed. And when he had eaten it, Guttorm was crazed. Then did he listen to Brynhild's words, and she commanded him to go into the chamber where Sigurd slept and stab him through the body with a sword. This Guttorm did, but Sigurd, before he gasped out his life, took Gram, his great sword, and flung it at Guttorm and cut him in two. And Brynhild, knowing what deed was done, went without and came to where Granny, Sigurd's proud horse, was standing. She stayed there with her arms across Granny's neck, the Valkyrie leaning into the horse that was born of Odin's horse. And Granny stood listening for some sound. He heard the cries of Gudrun over Sigurd, and his heart burst, and he died. They bore Sigurd out of the hall, and Brynhild went beside where they placed him. She took a sword and put it through her own heart. Thus died Brynhild, who had been made a mortal woman for her disobedience to the will of Odin, and who was one to be a mortal's wife by falseness. They took Sigurd and his horse Granny, and his helmet and his golden war gear, and they left all on a great painted ship. They could not but leave Brynhild beside him, Brynhild with her wondrous hair and her stern and beautiful face. They left the two together and lodged the ship on the sea. And when the ship was on the water, they fired it, and Brynhild once again lay in flames. And so Sigurd and Brynhild went together to join Baldr and Nana in Hela's habitation. Gunnar and Hogni came to dread the evil that was in the Horde. They took the gleaming and glittering mass, and they brought it to the river, along which, ages before, Prydmar had his smithy, and the dwarf Andvari his cave. From a rock in the river they cast the gold and jewels into the water, and the horde of Andvari sank forever beneath the waves. Then the river maidens had possession again of their treasure, but not for long were they to guard it and sing over it, for now was the season that was called the Fimble Winter, and it was coming over the earth, and Ragnarok, the twilight of the gods, was coming to the Dwellers in Asgard. I very much hope that you've enjoyed this retelling of a thrilling saga, one I read many, many years ago, and one that encouraged me on my own journey into the realms of Norse mythology. This was a wonderful introduction to the saga of the Volsungs, and over the years I've read versions that expand on the tales that you've just heard. I hope to continue along this path, and bring you some of the myths that I guarantee will capture your imaginations possibly as much as they have mine. For now, I would like to say thank you to everyone for making this year so wonderful. I really couldn't have wished for better. Please enjoy the holidays in the company of family and friends. And if you should find yourself thinking about some of the mythology, legends or folklore mentioned by myself or the podcasters of this marvellous community, then I urge you to join us all next year. Or perhaps, if there's time, before the new year has arrived. As ever, please feel free to get in touch on Twitter, it is at loremyth, and email is mlegendlore at gmail.com. I'm Siobhan Clark, and thank you for listening to the Myth, Legends and Lore podcast.